Hi, writers. Welcome to our new episode on writing fiction, both novels and short stories. This is Jim Thayer. Writing is a, a big subject, and there are many techniques to think about, big and small. Sometimes I talk about critical topics, and other times about smaller things we can use to polish our fiction. But what are the most important things we can learn about writing a story? If we had to rank them, what would be the rank? How about a top 10 list of fiction writing techniques? In the order, it might be helpful to think about them. I like lists, and maybe this one is useful. If I could discuss only 10 techniques with you, these would be them. First, regarding our plot, think big. Readers do not want true life. Readers want an escape from their lives, the extraordinary, not the ordinary. Erica Jong says a novel, quote, must make my so-called real world seem flimsy. And Kurt Vonnegut agrees, quote, I don't praise plots as accurate representations of life, but as ways to keep readers reading. If we writers are rooting around for a plot, we might come up with something like this. A dysfunctional family gathers for a week-long holiday at a beach. They argue, make sarcastic comments, tell off-putting family stories, and make everyone else unhappy. Lots of reproaches, weeping, and drinking. The week ends with the family even more unhappy and dysfunctional than before. Once in a while, this plot might work, uh, such as in Judith Guest's novel, Ordinary People. But if this is our story, or, or anything like this, we probably should aim higher. Come up with a big and bold plot, with dynamic characters, huge problems, glorious settings. Give the reader something new and something something to sink into. A story where the reader will will have been taken away and where the reader will dislike coming to the end of the story because she can no longer be with uh, our characters in their adventures. That's number one. We should think big. Number two, make the story goal clear early. All successful novels have a goal statement and a subsequent story question. The goal statement sets out what the protagonist wants. It's the one big question of the novel. For example, I want revenge is the uh, goal statement of the Count of Monte Cristo. I want to reclaim my honor. That's Lord Jim's goal statement. I want to find the killer. That's the goal statement in most detective fiction. When the writer makes clear the story goal, often by the hero saying it or thinking it, the reader grabs onto that stated goal. And this goal statement is turned into a story question. Will he get revenge is the story question for the Count of Monte Cristo. Will he reclaim his honor? is the story question for Lord Jim. The story goal and the story question should be made clear early to the reader. It's, uh, the story question is the main source of tension in, in a novel, and this tension should be 
in place early. Readers want to know the story question right away, and successful novels make the story question clear early in the novel. Number three, add conflict early. This is related to making the story question clear early. Your story must, absolutely must, contain conflict. David Morrell says, quote, Without conflict, no plot can be interesting. Without conflict, you don't have a plot. That's David Morrell. Each and every scene should contain conflict. Jack Bickham says, quote, Conflict is the heart of a scene, and without it, there can't be one. That's Jack Bickham. Conflict is our, our chief ingredient in a story. Every successful novel in every genre is about conflict. Janet Burroway says, In literature, only trouble is interesting. What is conflict? It's a struggle between two or more forces. The protagonist wants something she can't have and struggles to get it, and that's conflict. In our real lives, we go out of our ways to avoid conflict. Conflict, conflict can be hard and dangerous and exhausting and expensive and humiliating. Not so in fiction. Readers want conflict in their story. It's the heart of the story. And this is a, a, a tough lesson for s some new writers because we... Don't want, we don't want conflict in our real life, and uh, making that transition from real life to writing can sometimes be difficult. Put conflict in our story right away. Number four, B.C. plotting. This is important in our novel in general and in each scene. A novel and the component scenes are not chronologies. A chronology is outlined A, B, C, D. Uh, rather, a novel and a scene is, is shorter and more on point. It's, it can be outlined B, C. In our scene, we should cut to the chase. We should eliminate the setup, which is A, and the wind down, which is D. So our plotting from scene to scene could be outlined with a letter given to each plot point. Our plot shouldn't be A, B, C, D, new, new scene A, B, C, D, new scene A, B, C, D, but rather B, C, new scene, B, C, new scene, B, C. In other words, in our scene, we should write about the heart of the event. And then we go on to the next scene. This is B.C. to B.C. Number five, develop a main character, our hero, the reader wants to spend time with. As I've mentioned in an earlier episode, there are, there are five ingredients of most main characters who are successful in fiction. And these five are, one, they are kind when it counts. Two, they are brave when they need to be. Three, they are active, not passive. Four, they are not fools. And five, they have the ability to grow. Almost every hero of classic and modern fiction has these five traits. And then we can add a quirk 
the odd behavior or appearance or attitude of the character reminds the reader of herself, if not in particular uh, because of that quirk, but because we all have quirks and they are a reminder of our humanity. Number six, put obstacles in front of the character, between her and the goal. Almost all popular fiction is about a protagonist who wants something she can't have. And the story is about the struggle to get it. She wants love or wealth or revenge or safety or redemption or freedom. She wants something badly and someone or something is placing obstacles in her path. In the Master and Command in Master and Commander the novel the first of his wonderful novels by Patrick O'Brien Jack Aubrey the ship captain must overcome obstacle after obstacle. Uh, his ship the HMS Surprise is small and old and Aubrey must deal with being allowed only a small crew and small guns and a lack of food and ammunition. Aubrey's superiors in the British Navy are often more interested in in politics and their own careers than in winning the war, particularly Captain Hart. Uh, This leads Aubrey to be given conflicting orders and having his plans undermined. The ship surprise runs into a storm in the South Atlantic off the coast of Brazil. Uh, The storm is described as being, quote, the worst Aubrey had ever seen, end quote. The ship is battered by high winds and heavy seas. Uh, Jack Aubrey encounters obstacle after obstacle. That's the nature of fiction. Put the obstacles between your hero and her goal. Number seven, keep the point of view tight. As you know, point of view is a way of saying who is witnessing the events, whose eyes are seeing the action, whose mind can the reader visit. Uh, When the reader visits a character's mind, hearing or seeing what that character hears or sees, and feeling what that character feels or reading that character's thoughts, that character has the point of view. Generally, a scene should only have one point of view. Uh, That is, the reader should stay inside the mind of one character. Otherwise, the plot takes on a dizzying aspect as the novel jumps here and there into minds and out of minds into another one. Uh, The point of view should remain with one person in a scene. How do we learn what others are thinking in that same scene when one person has a point of view? We can observe the other character and thus learn what she is thinking, or we can speculate about what she's thinking. Number eight, give thought to our settings. Rather than just using default settings, we can have them, the settings, contribute to the story. Many new writers don't give settings much thought, and and so the settings are slighted. It's easy to just place our character in a room or in a park or on a street. Uh, These are default settings. Afterthoughts by the writer who suddenly realize the character needs to be somewhere, so the writer puts the character in whatever location uh, readily comes to mind. 
Every aspect of a novel should be interesting. Every aspect should contribute, should do some of the work of maintaining the reader's attention and interest. Uh, the key here regarding settings is to use interesting settings. If a, if a setting is needed for a story and it isn't innately interesting, make it interesting. My favorite example, if your hero is a school teacher and there will be scenes in a classroom, uh, put a terrarium of tarantulas in the room. Uh, we'll talk about a little more about that in a minute. Number nine, show rather than tell. Showing and telling are terms of art in the writing business. The best-selling science fiction novelist Robert J. Sawyer says, quote, Every writing student has heard the rule that you should show, not tell. But this principle seems to be among the hardest for beginners to master. That's Robert J. Sawyer. Uh, Sawyer. What's the difference? Showing reveals while telling explains. Readers are more interested in things that are revealed to them than they are in things that are explained to them. Are there magic words that will always remind us to show rather than tell? Yes. The words are, is there evidence? When you are writing down a phrase, say how a character looks or what she's thinking or how a setting looks or how a character is feeling, we can ask ourselves, is there evidence? If you come up with some evidence, you'll likely be showing rather than telling, and the sentence will be more vivid for the reader. So instead of writing, Beth gave up, which is telling, we write, Beth shook her head and turned away. There's the evidence that she's giving up. Number 10, use details. A key to good writing is to be specific, definite, and concrete. As Strunken White said, a detail is concrete when it appeals to the senses. It, it, a detail should be seen or heard, smelled, tasted, or touched. John Gardner in The Art of Fiction speaks of details as proofs, rather like a geometry theorem, he says. The novelist, John Gardner says, quote, gives us such details about the streets, stores, weather, politics, and details about the looks, gestures, and experiences of his characters so that we cannot help believing the story is true. That's John Gardner. So these are a top 10 fiction writing techniques, my top 10. I think these are the heart of of writing good fiction. I like to remind myself of them once in a while. Let's talk about the difference between dull settings and fascinating settings. When I was teaching fiction writing, my classes always had a number of good writers, uh, skilled writers from the very first day. I was sure glad they were in the class. But I noticed something common to many of them, and it was that they didn't use settings as a tool for interest in their stories. So I'd like to return to setting. It's an important topic. And I like lists. I want to offer two checklists of settings. The first is a list of dull settings. And, and let me suggest that if we have a number of scenes 
uh, where with these dull settings that we consider finding settings that are more interesting. I'll mention how to do that in a minute. But let's think about our novel. All the all the scenes in our novel, or or we if we haven't begun a novel, let's think about our plot, our outline. All elements of a story should contribute, and that includes our settings. Interesting locations, our settings, contribute. Dull, commonplace locations do not. Where do our scenes take place? Every scene needs to take place somewhere, of course. Our characters have to be anchored to the ground somewhere. That's called our setting. You've heard me say before that a lot of writers don't give their settings much thought, and when that happens, default settings are used, places we go every day. Living rooms, kitchens, dining rooms, bedrooms, or most any room in a house. A car interior, a coffee shop, a grocery store, a classroom, a front yard or a backyard, a department store, a mall, a parking garage, an office. If we have a scene in any of these places, perhaps we should look for a more interesting and lively setting. How do we do that? You are the god in your novel's universe. If you want to change the setting from a kitchen to a steel mill, you can do it, and it won't take much time. How? Have have a character work in a steel mill. What are good settings for our scenes? There are thousands of them. How about a farrier's workplace? A, A farrier is someone who shoes horses. A runway at a fashion show. Make a character a designer or a dresser or a makeup artist. A veterinarian surgery or or maybe a horse doctor's portable truck surgery, which are called, I think, equine mobile surgery units. Uh, One of my closest friends, a wonderful fellow, is a, a, a veterinarian, a horse surgeon. Uh, We could have our conversation in a barn where the veterinarian is operating. Or how about a rodeo or a state fair? A setting could be a commercial fishing boat or a logging camp, a karate dojo, a a chicken egg-laying barn. How about a locomotive turntable? I've never seen one, but I bet they're fascinating. A metal stamping plant an art gallery, a whiskey distillery, uh, a a wristwatch factory such as the Shinola plant in Detroit, a speedboat factory such as Donzi Marine in Florida. Wouldn't that be a wonderful setting? How about a commercial supplier of aquarium fish? That's what she does. She grows fish and sends them to aquariums. Or a baseball glove manufacturing plant such as uh, Rawlings's plant in St. Louis. A luthier's shop where he's making guitars. I've been to one, and it's fascinating. Or one of my favorites, a container ship dock, such as we have in, in Seattle with the ships and the huge cranes. Or how about a, a grass strip airport with its odd experimental planes? How do we put our characters in these interesting settings Uh, settings that add interest to our stories. As I've said, we are the God in our universe in the story, and we can put characters where we want them to be 
and we can figure it out. If, if we think a fashion runway is an interesting setting, make a character a fashion designer. It's easy to do. The key here is to have a fascinating setting that has interesting things going on. We can consider making a list of every setting in our novel, the one, or the, or the one we are writing or the one we plan to write. The list is our settings from first chapter to last. We can write down in a list the location of each scene, say number one to number 20. We have 20 scenes, so we have 20 locations. If our list reads like this, scene one, kitchen, scene two, automobile interior, scene three, classroom, scene four, living room, scene five, office, scene six, tennis court, scene seven, living room again. If our list reads like that, we're likely shortchanging our story because an, an important element of our story, the settings, aren't contributing to the, to the story. Once in a while, strong writing and strong observations can carry a novel where the settings aren't interesting. I'm reading the highly regarded British novelist Barbara Pym's novel titled Excellent Women. Barbara Pym is Pym is an observant and skilled writer. She's very sharp about the human condition, which she often finds funny. But her settings are dull, one after another, a sitting room, a bedroom, a dining room, again and again, over and over. They don't contribute to the story. Maybe her story doesn't need them, she might argue, but why not add an element of interest? Uh, when a novel's fourth scene takes place in a living room, the, the, the settings have been living room after living room, as in Barbara Pym's novel, the setting isn't doing what it can do. I don't second-guess Barbara Pym. That's her way, and it works really well for her. But for us other writers, we should allow interesting uh, maybe even fascinating settings to contribute to our stories. I like to talk about showing and telling because it's so important. Let's mention showing versus telling regarding affection and attraction. How's this for being profound? People like romance, and they like family affection, and all the things that go with them. That's why many Maybe most, uh, maybe most successful novels have a romance in them. It hardly matters what genre readers are, uh, are reading. They like a romance. I've mentioned before, if we are writing a novel, even a thriller or a horror or a detective novel, we should consider adding a romance to the story. Here's a strong technique. We should show rather than tell love and affection in our stories. It's easy to do. And it's easy because uh, romance, say, between a man and a woman, and uh, affection, say, between a mother and a daughter, in real life consists of lots of little things, lots of mannerisms and gestures and comments and other actions, uh, sometimes funny little things. My father, who is a farmer and usually quite reserved, not really a hugger, he would once in a while leave a piece of chocolate under uh, his daughter, my sister Connie's pillow. Uh, 
he never mentioned it. Let me offer some examples first of how to show rather than tell about family affection. What we want to do most of the time is to avoid visiting a character's mind to learn of the affection. There's a couple reasons. First, interior monologue is seldom as interesting as watching, that is, showing something. Uh, when we can, we should display emotions without visiting the character's brain. And second, the character might not have the point of view, so we can't visit his or her mind. Showing can let us know the non-point of view character's emotions. Here are some examples of showing between members of a family. John tussled his son's hair. Or how about John laughed and squeezed his son's arm. Or John lifted the boy. Or John said, how are you doing, kiddo? Uh, a parent's love for uh, his child is manifest in many ways, and all of them. These actions that the reader sees the parent do shows the love. How about a romance? How do we let the reader know our character is in love without visiting her mind? Is there evidence we can show the reader? Sure. Her gaze lingered on him. In the context of the scene, that will show love. Or uh, she took his hand. Or she kissed him. Or she smiled at him. The context will likely show why she's smiling and that she's, she's in love with him. Or she hugged him. Or how about she grabbed the other end of the ladder. Why would she do that? Maybe because she loves him. She smiled down at her wedding ring. Isn't that a nice image? It shows love. The technique here is to avoid mind reading. Interior monologue, if we can. We should try to stay out of the character's mind. Which is usually the least interesting aspect of a novel. Thinking. There are a hundred ways to show affection. The reader should be able to watch the love in action. We writers can show the love. We have come to the end of this episode. I'm glad you were along for it. Until next time, this is Jim Thayer. Please keep tapping those keys.